Welcome to the Become New Podcast with John Ortberg, where you'll find 10-minute teachings Monday through Friday to help you grow spiritually one day at a time. For more resources, check out our website, becomenew.com. There you can sign up for the emails that go along with each video, as well as access our entire library of over 400 videos covering a variety of topics about spiritual life and growth. If you need prayer, please let us know by texting your request to 855-888-0444. We would love to pray for you. Now here's John. 2nd Thoughts about what you should do today and what God wants to do with you and what it means to be saved. I was listening to a terrific podcast yesterday with Anna Lemke. She's the author of a very high-impact book. It's called Dopamine Nation. And it looks at how dopamine, which is this neurotransmitter that allows one neuron to communicate with another, it's particularly associated with our reward system. And so we love it. We can't get enough of it. It's very connected with pleasure. But uh, that we're getting so addicted to it that we're becoming a nation of dopamine addicts. And it may be through video games or social media or could be through sex, could be through porn, could be through alcohol, could be through work. Um, We just constantly want to feel pleasure. But God has created us so that um, we automatically seek homeostasis. We seek balance. And so if we try to artificially introduce pleasure, reward, dopamine into our system, what happens is our brain automatically regulates it. Something like a thermostat. If you have it set to a certain temperature and then you open up where there's real cold air coming in, the furnace is going to go on. And we have this problem where we constantly want to have pleasure. We don't want to be bored But increasingly, we are filling our lives with substances or activities to try to boost artificially our sense of pleasure. And what happens then is that we lose our ability to enjoy the present moment and find meaning and life in it. In fact, one definition of addiction is it is an increasingly restricted capacity to draw pleasure. Uh, Part of what Anna recommends, and you might think about this, if you find yourself getting overly attached to social media or video games or the wrong expression of sexuality or porn or opioids, some substance or alcohol, uh, take 30 days away from it. She says what happens is it takes about 30 days for the brain to reset itself when it comes to dopamine levels, so we get back to a balanced level. The first two weeks will be awful. They will be a nightmare, but if you stick with it, she said, about the third week, the sun comes out. And by the end of the fourth week, God has just made us in such a remarkable way that we begin to experience life in a healthy capacity once more. Now, here's the particular phrase I wanted to tell you about. She was talking about how particularly young people have been impacted often negatively, by dopamine nation. And they want to have, they're trained to think that they ought to be having uh, fabulous emotional experiences of reward and pleasure constantly. Partly that impacts how we think about the work that we do. And one of the messages that everybody, but especially young people, tends to get a lot is, discover your passion. And the idea behind this is that there's some magic job, some magic work, some magic vocation out there. And if you could find it, it would be the golden key that would unlock the door to a life 
of romanticized, consistent, high motivation, and you'd be this charismatic person experiencing deep interest and motivation and uh, emotional positivity all the time when you're working. Life actually doesn't work that way. A lot of life is the willingness to experience moments of boredom and tedium at work. That's part of why they call it work. So Anna Lemke says, don't uh, buy into the myth that you're supposed to discover your passion. On second thought, on second thought, so interesting, she says, look around you and find something that needs to be done and do it. Don't spend the rest of your life wondering, what's that passion out there that I ought to be finding so I can experience a ceaseless life of endless moments of bliss? Look around. What happens is this puts you in touch with your actual surroundings, the actual world that you inhabit. Because God has yet to bless anybody except in the place where they actually are. She says we can actually learn from people in recovery. She says recovering addicts are often the prophets of our modern-day world. Kent Dunnington writes about the same thing in his book Addiction and Virtue. And through hard-won humility, they teach us to simply seek to be useful. She says look around you for something that needs to be done that nobody else is doing and do it. And there is extraordinary meaning and possibility available to you. Now, of course, the person who has excelled above everybody else in the human race in teaching about looking at life one day at a time. I wouldn't worry about tomorrow. Each day will bring trouble enough of its own. Manna for today, that's Jesus. And he spent his life looking around for something that needed to be done that nobody else was doing. To the extent that On the night before he died, when he gathered his friends together for what would be called the Last Supper, there's no indication that this was pre-planned or premeditated. He looked around the room and something needed to be done, and that was dirty, stinky feet needed to be washed, and nobody else was doing it. So he did it. And then he said, now, what I've done here, I've done to set an example for you. And the idea is not restricted to foot washing. In our day, foot washing would be rather an odd thing to do for the most part. It is uh, to have a servant spirit looking to cooperate together with God in the work of his kingdom, finding something that needs to be done in your day and do it on second thought today. Don't try to discover your passion. Look around your actual world, your actual situation. The room, the job, the life, the neighborhood. Maybe your neighbor's got a little piece of trash in there. You could pick it up and throw it. There's so much to be done. And we do this in interaction with God. And this is what it means to live in the kingdom. Now, here's what Dallas Willard has to say about this. This is from Divine Conspiracy. Uh, page 47, starting 47. Often when we think about entering into a saving relationship with God, for many of us, if we grew up in a certain kind of church, what we think of is getting the heaven job done and believing whatever you're supposed to believe so that you get the heaven job done. No, 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 no. Dallas writes, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, we are told. This is Genesis 15, 6, classic verse. What did Abraham believe that led God to declare or reckon him righteous? Was it that God had arranged payment for his sins? Not at all. The story makes it very clear. Abraham believed God was going to give him a male baby and heir, and through that baby a multitude of descendants. 
who would possess the land. He trusted God, of course, but it was for things involved in his current existence. Here it is. He believed that God would interact with him now, precisely as those who later gathered around Jesus did. He even dared to ask God how he could know the promise of a male heir would be fulfilled. In response, God gave him a little plan, had him prepare some animals for a sacrifice. And God visited Abraham. Abraham trusted God. He did what God called him to do. He did what needed to be done in that moment. In the face of such faith, God declared Abraham to be righteous. Does that mean he declared he would go to heaven when he died? Not precisely that, but certainly that Abraham's sins and failures would not cut him off from God in the present moment and in their ongoing relationship and life together. But would he go to heaven when he died? Of course. What else would God do with such a person? They were friends. They were friends. Abraham and God were friends. A fact made much of in Scripture. Spoken of in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, Isaiah 41, verse 8, James chapter 2, verse 23. They were friends. As we are to be friends of Jesus by immersing ourselves in his work. What needs to be done? What's nobody else doing? I can do it. No friend of God will be in hell. Jesus even assured us that whoever, as one of his apprentices, gives a little one just a cup of water to drink shall not lose his reward. Certainly forgiveness and reconciliation are essential to any relationship where there has been offense, and also between us and God. We cannot pass into a new life from above without forgiveness. Certainly it is Christ who made possible such a transition, including forgiveness, through his life and death. We must be reconciled to God and He to us if we're going to have a life together. But such a reconciliation involves far more than forgiveness of our sins or a clearing of the ledger. And the faith and salvation of which Jesus speaks obviously is a much more positive reality than a mere declaration of innocence. It is interactive friendship with God. Today, you are God's friend. Don't waste your time trying to discover your passion. On second thought, as you walk through this day, just look around. What needs to be done? And do it. Together with your friend God, expecting, looking for Him to inspire and empower and guide and whisper and bring opportunities and strengthen you as you do it. Live today by the second thought.